Welcome to Musing the Mysteries, a podcast by Barney Wiggett. What you'll find here are some recent musings about the God of the Bible and living in such a way as to bring him pleasure. Happy musing. gave this message back in 2006 to our church in Santa Cruz, California, during a series on disciples making disciples, based on two Old Testament characters, Elijah and Elisha. And in this one, I address young Elishas in particular toward a courageous life of discipleship. I encourage both young and old to listen to this and apply it to your own lives and share it with someone you think would benefit from it. We've been talking about disciples, being disciples, making them, Elijah and Elisha. Somebody was at my house last night, been a Christian all his life, uh, and uh, and doesn't go to our church, but... Uh, so what are you preaching on, Barney? And he, I, I go, uh, Elijah and Elisha. And he goes, those are two different guys? Yeah, they are two different guys. Elijah and Elisha. Elijah is a, is a disciple who made a disciple out of Elisha. So our, you know, it's our calling to make disciples, to be disciples and to make disciples. This morning, I would particularly like to talk to Elishas and inspire you, if I can, from the uh, life of Elisha, the second one, the disciple of Elijah, and encourage you toward a dynamic uh, expression of the kingdom of God in your own life, and uh, encourage you to be a fearless uh, disciple of the Lord, a fearless Elisha, and to express his kingdom in your day in a way that uh, nobody else can express his kingdom, because it's your assignment, your responsibility to express God and his love to your generation in, in, in supernatural ways. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples? Greater works than these, than his own, shall you do, because I'm going to go to my father. And uh, so we have Elisha uh, asking for a double portion of Elijah's anointing. And how many, time, how many more miracles did Elisha do than Elijah? Do you remember I said last week? Three times as many. There's like 19 miracles of, Elijah, of Elisha versus like six of, Eli, of Elijah's. He asked for a double portion and got like a triple portion. I don't know. But uh, Israel was in a, in a mean way, in a bad way spiritually, and so they needed the supernatural power of God. And, of course, in America today in the 20. First century, we're not, you know, all that needy spiritually. Everything's pretty good here, uh, doing pretty well. And we don't really need miracles today or, or passionate disciples like in Elisha's day. So this is just basically a history lesson. We're just talking about another guy in another time because we're in the millennium right now. Am I, am I telling you the truth right now? No, I'm saying we need it more than ever. And we need uh, Elisha's more than ever. Just in terms of just some of these miracles of this young man, what he did uh, was pretty, uh, pretty amazing. 
his, uh, he crossed the River Jordan supernaturally and healed uh, bitter water. And there, you ought to read the Revenge of the Bears story. That's a pretty incredible story there. He, uh, he had this miracle happen where God showed, uh, there was a, these ditches that they all dug, and, and water came and filled these ditches, and the next morning the enemies thought that was blood, and they fled, and uh, he healed poison stew. He, he made a pot of oil uh, not uh, wane until uh, they had enough in this widow's house to be able to sell enough to pay all their bills. He predicted the birth of a, of a baby, and when that baby grew up a, a bit and died, he raised that boy from the dead. Uh, he healed a guy named Naaman of his leprosy. He uh, had a word of knowledge about his uh, protege named Gehazi, uh, that he saw him doing something that Gehazi really wasn't too stoked about him seeing, but he did see it, and then pronounced some judgment on him as a result. They, the Bible call, they were building a Bible college, and a guy lost his axe head in the, in the, uh, in the river, and Elisha put a, a stick out there, and the, the axe head floated to the surface because it was a borrowed axe. He predicted the uh, strategies of the enemy when the enemy uh, was making these strategies behind closed doors, Elisha, by word of knowledge, knew. He saw angels surrounding them. He pronounced uh, blindness on his enemies that had come to attack him and his friend. He predicted the, fix, the fixing of a famine and told exactly how it was going to happen. And he predicted the death of a king. And then when he got sick and he died and he went into his tomb, or they took a guy that had just died and threw him in that tomb and he raised from the dead, landing on the bones of Elisha. That man lived an adventure. That's what I'm saying. That's a good life. That's a, that's a life well lived. Amen to that? He didn't watch adventure. He was in the middle of adventure. I, I like adventure movies. I usually go to the adventure section because I like adventure movies, you know, like uh, Old Yeller and like that. <laughs> and uh, Finding Nemo and stuff. It's, I can't sleep very well after those movies, but I like adventure. But he didn't just watch it. He was in the middle of it. He, he refused to just watch it. He refused to just be content with, with electronically induced adrenaline. It, virtual adventure wasn't good enough for Elisha. He wanted to be in the middle of it. Let's look at a little bit of 1 Kings chapter 19. We've read these, some of these verses already many times. I make no apology about that because I want to go back and make a point or two that I feel like the Holy Spirit wants us to be, to be alerted to. Look at 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 19. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and uh, threw his cloak around him, and Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come to you, or I, and I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment and cooked uh, to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his attendant. Does that sound like Gaio's uh, testimony? That, uh, yeah, I'm, let me, you know, he didn't just sign up to be saved and to be forgiven and to be nicely uh, you know, warmed and fed, but Gaio, when he came to Christ, signed up to be a disciple and a disciple-making disciple, and he's four years old in the Lord, and he's helped plant several churches already, all right? So that's what I'm talking about is what Elisha's look like. So here's Elisha, who's, been, who's plowing on his daddy's farm, 
and he probably was heir to, or one of the heirs to the, uh, to the farm, and he could have made a bunch of money working with his daddy, but he decided to live for an eternal purpose. And so he, he went with Elijah, and he didn't, he didn't hesitate. It's kind of like the disciples uh, when Jesus came. They dropped everything and followed him. I think I've mentioned this to you before. <clears throat> a bunch of my childhood was in a motel. My mom and dad owned a motel in Chico, California, and when the motel would uh, fill up, my dad would flip a switch, he called the no sign. And the no sign, it's the, the, the vacancy sign, and then there's this, this light that says no, and if you flip the switch, it goes no. So it always says vacancy unless you put the no sign on, because it's full. There's no availability. It's full. Don't come in and ask if we have any rooms. Sometimes, though, my dad would turn on the no sign. He said, I'm going to go turn on the no sign. And the no sign, what he, we weren't full. Uh, but he was full, and so uh, he was going to turn on the no sign because I'm not available. We might have rooms available, but I'm not available. I'm going to go read the paper. I'm going to go to bed or whatever I'm going to do. And I think a lot of people turn on the no sign because they don't want to be bothered. And an Elisha doesn't do that. He turns on the yes sign. He's got a yes sign. He's looking, she is looking for an opportunity to be available to some eternal purpose. The young and the fearless disciples are, are available when called. They never say no to God. Now, when you're going to be available to right things, that means that you're going to have to be not available to wrong things. And, and so you're going to, in order to say yes to this, you'll probably have to say no to some other stuff. You'll have to be discerning about what to say yes to. You'll have to be selective in your life and narrow down the parameters because there are so many options now. Some, some young person told me recently that, that it's not like your day where you had this many options. We have this universe full of options now and so many distractions that weren't even available. In fact, I was uh, reading a book the other day on Elisha uh, up at Bethany Bible College and went up there to use their library and uh, found this book on Elisha. It was written in 1875. The author was bemoaning the spiritual state of America. It's a, it's a wicked time, you know. It's, a, it's an awful time. Many distractions. And I'm thinking, dude, you have no idea. No idea. It was bad for him. It was bad for Elisha. It's bad. It was bad for me. It's even worse. We live in a dark time, and there are many, especially in our country here, there are many distractions. You'll have to narrow down your field of choices, uh, and I encourage you to choose the eternal. You know, Isaiah said, uh, the Lord wakens me morning by morning. He wakens my ear to listen like one being taught. Actually, one version says like being taught, says like a disciple. That's, a, I think, the only in that version, the only time disciple is used in the Old Testament because disciple is one that's being taught, somebody that's learning. Mathetes means learner. But then he goes on to say, uh, like one being taught, the Lord has opened my ears and I've not been rebellious. I've not uh, turned back. I've not drawn back. I've not been rebellious. In other words, when God spoke to me, I wasn't rebellious. I did what he said. Usually when I use the word rebellious, I'm thinking like uh, somebody who does bad things. They do bad things. But I found a few places in Scripture where the word rebellious is used, and oftentimes it's, it's talking about people who rebel against doing a good thing. It's not that they go do bad things so much, but they just don't go do good things, and that is the same as being rebellious. Isn't that interesting? 
That means a person can be a Christian and be rebellious. He that knows to do good, James says, and does it not to him, it is sin. It's rebellious. It's rebellious to not do the thing that God wants you to do as much as it is to do the things that God doesn't want you to do. So Elisha's are available. The second thing that I notice out of uh, his life, Elisha's that is, is in 2 Kings, if you want to turn there, 2 Kings chapter 2, 2 Kings 2, and we've read these verses uh, before as well, but let's take a look one more time. Well, I don't know about one more time, but at least this more time. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 1, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, and the Lord sent, because the Lord sent me to Bethel. These are towns, right? Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Company of the prophets of Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? He said, yes, but don't speak of it. Stay here, Elisha, Elijah said. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. He replied the same way. As the Lord lives and as you live, surely I not leave you. So they went to Jericho, and the company of the prophets at Jericho came to Elisha and said, Don't you know these, the Lord's going to take uh, your master from you today? Yeah, I know. Don't speak of it. Elijah said to him again, The Lord has sent me to Jordan. And he said, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I am not going to leave you. So they walked on, the two of them. Fifty of the men of the prophets, in verse 7, went and stood at, the, at a distance facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, struck the water with it, and the water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed on dry ground. And when they'd crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me, what can I do for you before I'm taken? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. Let me just stop there and say that he was attentive. I noticed he wasn't just available, he was attentive to his mentor. I want to talk about being attentive to mentors. You see that he followed him wherever he went, and he was attentive. Attentive means to watch closely. He watched him closely. In fact, so much so that the, the thing that marked whether or not he was going to get the anointing was that, he, that Elijah said, if you see me when I'm, you know, if you're still attentive to me when I'm leaving. He was attentive. means to watch, pay attention. Watch closely those that have gone further down the road than you are. It's a wise thing to do that. I wasn't, as, uh, I wasn't super, super wise about this when I was uh, a young Elisha. And I, didn't, I wasn't very attentive to people who might have mentored me uh, more uh, adequately had I given them the opportunity. So I want to put a plug in about being attentive if you're a young Elisha. About watching closely. Not watching too closely, but watching closely enough and respecting the fact that they've gone further than you and love you enough to want to help you get there too. To be attentive to your mentors. See, because if you're available, you then want to be attentive so that you can do it yourself. I, I don't fix things very well. I'm not a fix-it kind of guy. And so if I know if, I, if, I, if somebody is showing me how to fix something, I'm very attentive. I watch it because if, if they're showing me and I'm going to have to do it, I'm very attentive because I'm not natural at it. So in other words, I don't just walk up to a broken thing and it just you know, it fixes in my mind and then I put my hand to it. It's not like that. Somebody has to show me. But if I'm just watching somebody fix something and I'm not going to be the next stage of the fixing, I'm just watching like, yeah, whatever, you know, because they're fixing it. They're going to do it. Why should I watch attentively? Well, that's the difference, I think, in terms of attentiveness for an Elisha and an Elijah. 
if you're watching Elijah's like, well, they're going to do it. They're going to fix it. That's, that's their, their gig. And when I grow up someday, somewhere way down the road, I'm going to fix stuff too. But you're not really thinking about him handing you the screwdriver in two minutes. Then the way that you watch is different. And what I'm saying is, you have to run this next lap. So you better watch very carefully as we're running this lap and watch very carefully when the baton is being passed. Because frankly, it's being passed right now. It doesn't mean I'm done running. It means that I'm going to run with you. But I'm saying, you better watch real careful because this is your lap to run. This is your fence to paint. This is your thing to fix. So watch carefully because we're handing you the brush. We're handing you the baton. We're handing you the screwdriver next. So it's not just watching, it's watching so you can learn, so you can do something. Make sense? A lot of mentors have failed people. So as a result of that, like the psalmist said, in my dismay, I said, all men are liars. He got stumbled by the fact that somebody had lied to him and somebody else had lied and there was a bad mentor and a bad example and a bad father and a bad pastor and a bad cop and a bad president. And so everybody's a liar. Well, he wasn't really speaking the truth there. He was saying, that's how it feels. And as a result of that, because of our sense of uh, fathers that fail, I, get, I have some do's and don'ts. In other words, whether it's a physical father or a spiritual father or another mentor, because when I say be attentive, you're going, dude, I'm so over being attentive to uh, hypocrites. And how many of you are so over being attentive to hypocrites? Amen to that. So, but there, that doesn't mean that everybody is. Here's what you do, or this is what you don't do when a father fails you. Don't become cynical or jaded. It's so important. I so urge you, do not become cynical or jaded. But do instead keep trusting the perfect father because he's the one that you're really following and he, he will never fail you. Amen? Don't give up altogether on mentors and role models. Some are, uh, some are hypocrites and some don't. They lack integrity, and some don't deserve to be followed, but some do. Do do remember that you're ultimately following Christ, who you're actually following. It's not the man. It's not the woman. It's Christ. Don't follow too close to any person, because if you follow too close, you can't see the Lord. If you're this close to somebody, you can't see the Lord. You're supposed to be following him as he follows Christ. Don't be stumbled by, by fallen fathers. Do forgive your failed father. Forgive him. Forgive that pastor, that, that elder, that father, that uncle, that cop, that teacher, that role model of yours. Forgive him. Forgive her. It'll, only, it'll help you if you do. And then don't follow the failure of the failed father. Don't, don't do what they did because that's the most... Na- you'll think, well, obviously I'm not going to do... No, not obviously. Frankly, that's what you're going to tend to do. That's going to be the most likely thing for you to do. I'm just telling you from years of experience now. Not because I learned this in a psychology class. From years of experience, the most likely thing for you to do is to fail in the same way that your father failed. I'm just telling you. So you're going to have to buck that because of the redemptive power of Jesus and him changing your life and empowering you to be a different kind of person. You can, you can live a different life, but it isn't just by, because you're saved now automatically, you're not going to go down that road. That's not necessarily the case at all. Do it differently. Don't do what they did. Do it differently. Does that make sense to you? I'm saying be attentive to those that have gone on before you uh, But keep in mind that some will fail you and some won't. Be teachable, be attentive, and then lastly, 
Let's, let's read verses 9 through 14. Verses 9 through 14. He said, uh, then they crossed, and Elijah said to Elisha, what can I do for you before I'm taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. You've asked a difficult thing, Elijah said, yet if you see me when I'm taken from you, it'll be yours, otherwise not. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind, and Elisha saw this and cried out, my father, my father, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more, and then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them, uh, tore them apart, and he picked up the cloak that had fallen from Elijah, and he went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan, and then he took the cloak that had fallen from him and struck the water with it. Where is now the Lord, uh, the God of Elijah, he asked. And when he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. The last thing I think you've got to be is adamant about anointing. That if you're going to be an Elisha, you've got to be like, uh, uh, like Elisha was, totally adamant. When, he, when Elijah said, what do you need? What do you want? What do you want from me? He goes, dude, I don't want anything from you except your anointing. I don't need your books. I don't need your knowledge. I need your spirit. I need the anointing that you have. And there's no way, no way, no way that Elisha would have been anything at all like Elijah, his mentor, had he not had the same anointing as Elijah, his mentor. Because if you're going to be like Elijah, you're going to have to have Elijah's anointing. I, I noticed this week for the first time that he picked up the mantle. He picked it up. It didn't fall on his head. He had to pick it up. There was a choice. And as an Elisha, you'll have to pick up the thing that's for you, the, the, the power of God that's available to you. And then he takes what he picked up and he uses it, and it's for use. I wonder how much disservice we might have been doing as Pentecostals as we've offered the baptism in the Holy Spirit to people who are going to do absolutely nothing with it except speak in tongues and feel warm. I'm not sure that we've done them a great uh, service by getting people to speak in tongues when that's all that they're ever going to do with it. And I'm saying, Elisha's, plan on doing something with it. Plan on making a difference. Uh, he wasn't waiting for goosebumps. He was waiting for power to do something. And I'm, I'm challenging you to pick up that power and to use that power in daily life, just in your context, in your space-time context, because the Holy Spirit wants to anoint you to do great things. He said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? He didn't say, where is Elijah? The, the prophets were asking that. These other guys, these 50 prophets, they were saying, oh, I think he's over in the next hill. Well, that's because they, their eyes, they wanted to know, where is Elijah? Well, that's irrelevant now. Where is the Lord God of Elijah? That's what we need, is the Lord God of Elijah. And in order to now to take the baton, if you're an Elisha, you're going to have to take the spirit of Elijah. Not, you don't need Elijah anymore. What you need then is the, the anointing of Elijah. And I like how he says, where is now the Lord God of Elijah? Where is now the Lord God of Elijah? Elisha realized he wanted something now. Elijah's day was past. It doesn't matter what my mama or my daddy or my uncle or these guys in 1875 did. I've got, I've got, a, I've got a job to do, and I need the spirit of Elijah now. I need the Lord God of Elijah now in my space-time situation in the challenges that you're facing right now. Where is now the Lord God of Elijah? And I like how the prophet uh, Habakkuk said, I've heard of your fame. I stood in awe of your deeds. Renew them in our day, in our time, make them known. So in 2006, 
we need God to make known his works right now. Amen? So I'm looking at 2 Kings 2, comparing it to Acts 2. 2 Kings 2, Elijah goes up, his anointing comes down, Elisha picks it up, starts a ministry. Acts chapter 2, Jesus goes up, Holy Spirit comes down, uh, 120 in the upper room pick it up, start a ministry in the anointing of the Lord. Think about those disciples a minute. When those disciples were waiting in the upper room, because Jesus said, wait in the city of Jerusalem until you're clothed with power from on high, clothed, mantle, with power from on high, they weren't in the room there waiting for goosebumps. They weren't there waiting for warm feelings. In fact, they didn't even know anything about tongues. They were there waiting for, because what they had done was they just signed on. They have just signed up to, to make disciples. As Gaio uh, quoted in Matthew 28, hasn't that been a kind of a driving verse for us in these, in these months? Making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They weren't waiting. They, they were desperate. They were going, dude, I, I, what did we just say yes to? What was that? Did, did, did he say greater works? Well, we do because he goes to the, I mean, really? And now they've seen him persecuted and, and, and uh, crucified. So they're waiting for power because if they're, they, they know that this is not going to be an easy deal. And this isn't going to be an easy deal for you. It would be nice, you know, the, the army recruiter that says, oh, dude, travel. You know, all the women you're going to meet and all that stuff. I have no army recruiting in me. This will be hard. Just like Elisha said, this is a difficult thing. It's going to be hard. But with the power of God on you, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Amen? And I encourage you like the disciples. And, and, and like Elijah, ask for, ask for twice as much. Ask for twice as much. I'm thinking that was a humble statement, by the way, because I think he's saying, I'm twice as weak as he was, twice as incapable. If that's how much he needed, dude, I need twice as much as that. Well, humble yourself before God every day, young person. Every day, humble yourself before God and ask him for twice as much as your predecessors had in God. Ask for twice as much uh, power from God to be all that you're supposed to be in him. Be available, be attentive, and be absolutely adamant about your need for the Spirit of God in your life. And then, and then reach down and pick up that anointing and then use it in daily life in ways that will blow the minds of previous generations. That's what I'm challenging you to. Let's go, let's go, let's go.